does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us. Run along here on a Tuesday. We're joined now by Renus VK, the 2020 NTT IndyCar Series Rookie of the Year. He will start second in the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Renus, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you so much for making time for us. Obviously, busiest week of the year for you guys. I want to dive right in. We were joking before we went on the air that whenever I see smoke anywhere near my car and I'm just driving a residential vehicle, uh, <laughs> panic starts to set into my head. So take us through your your mindset, your team's mindset Sunday morning when you got a little bit of smoke billing out of the back of the car and just the resolve of your team to get the car back in working order to be able to do what you did out in Qualls on Sunday. Yeah, that was uh, that was not ideal. <laughs> on, uh, on Sunday morning, yeah, we... we Actually, um, we opted to do um, the practice in the morning, which some guys did not do, which you know actually you know, saved our full qualifying because we we uh, diagnosed that problem and got the um, got the car back to running just before fast twelve qualifying and then qualified in P two, which is by the little smallest margin possible. So uh, now very proud of the team and uh, yeah, you know uh, there was only one car running that day because. Uh, Ann and Connor, my teammates, were not in the fast 12, but they, um, like, their crews were working as hard as they could to make to get my car back in, in one piece. So, that no, was a great job by them. Renus, we saw the margin between you and Alex. You touched on it there, saying it's the smallest ever really possible. Um, how do you, one, you know, take that in, and then number two, build on it because it is still a good position to be in heading into the 500? Yeah, it was... Um, it was definitely a small margin, but you know it doesn't. Starting first or second doesn't give uh, um, doesn't give you a bigger bigger chance of winning the race. I think if you start thirty thirty third, you can still win it. So uh, anyway, I think uh, I think it'll take the nerves off a little bit for the race. So it might still be a positive thing. Renus, when you look at everything that your team has done so far in the early goings of the season, you've mentioned in the past that. Right now, the opportunity in front of you at the 500 really can be a turning point for you and your team. Uh, what's been the biggest areas of, of focus for you over the last couple of weeks getting ready for this race, knowing that it can really be a jumping point for you towards the, the second half of the IndyCar series? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's a lot of focus that goes into the race, not only me, but also in the team. And, um, and I've been just watching a lot of video from, from previous years and watching previous race, uh, years um, in the 500 races and I've spent a lot of time also uh, with Chevy on the simulator to actually uh, dial stuff in and you know now it's four Chevys also in the fast six so that's that's great but um, no I just spend a lot of time preparing for this race and you know there's still going to be stuff that's going to gonna catch that's going to catch me off guard in this race because it's the Indy 500 but it's still uh yeah, very exciting. Renus, how do you find that balance between you want to be as prepared as possible, but obviously you want to go into it as loose as possible. So how do you find that time to unwind if you are able to unwind, you know, this week? 
well, my family's uh, my family's here now. My parents, but also my sister and my girlfriend are coming uh, on Thursday. So, I'm gonna spend some time with them and you know, uh, not think about racing for for a day. And whenever I can, I go for a run. Actually, on the IMS golf course because I'm staying at the racetrack. But uh, no, it's nice to just kind of get out of that atmosphere sometimes. Renus, to switch sports for just a second. People always talk about in golf when you're playing Augusta National and playing the Masters, how hard it is for first-time players of that course to be able to get a handle of it, to be able to get a, a feel for all the different nooks and crannies and advantages of how to play it. I feel like drivers in the past, it's been a similar aspect of the challenge of IMS and getting used to it as a first-time driver. For you, obviously, that's not the case. This is year four for you. What do you build on from past experiences, and why is it such a daunting task for younger drivers as they get a feel for the oval? It's just such a crazy track, and it's the longest race for us in the in the in the calendar. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just tough. The racing is fast, but very very close to other cars, and uh, of course, there is the biggest crowd in the whole calendar. Uh, that's that's in the stands, so you also feel you feel all the eyes just looking at you. Renus, for you, I know we talk so much about preparing the car, preparing your race strategy, but how do you prepare your body? You know, to put yourself through those things because, as me and Jimmy have joked about, you're not driving, you know, like my Honda Civic, you're <laughs> driving uh, something that's that's moving pretty fast, and obviously uh, there's a lot of physical toll that you know weighs into that. Yeah, no, I um. You know, when I'm not racing, I'm I'm really working out every day. So um, it's something I take very seriously. And actually, the Indy 500 is the least physical race mm. because you get all these straightaways. But mentally, it's the it's the hardest race. So I I feel like mentally, it's uh, it's the most important to, to be uh, to be just very prepared. You mentioned that for you off the track, you, you really like to bike, you like to cycle. You mentioned obviously being here in Indy for the race itself, but but across the board, whether it's in Indy, whether it's worldwide, where's been some of the favorite spots that you enjoy getting out there and cycling, or is it just in general the process of of taking your mind off being in a 230-mile-per-hour vehicle and just, you know, <laughs> being on a bike instead? Um, yeah, and I think it's just nice to kind of, uh, you know, um, be be in that zone. Uh, well, now I'm, I'm I'm actually afraid to bike during this month. So I'm sure, sure, sure. <laughs> don't want to fall, but I mean, like that runner's high, you know. That just um, kind of forgetting about all the stuff that's going on and just just be in nature for a second. Renus, for you this month, obviously, and other racers and drivers as well. This is the pinnacle, so to speak. So, how do you? enjoy it i know you're so locked in as a competitor but is there ever a moment where you're like man this is the dream i'm actually doing something that very few are able to do and a lot of people dream about doing oh definitely no it's uh it's um it's very special and i remind myself of that a lot and also my parents they 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 keep me uh with both feet on the ground so um no it, it's just very very special and you know it's still um you know, I still stay to uh, stay stay grounded and, and see what what we're actually doing. You know, I'm, I was bummed that I qualified second by the such a small margin in the uh, in qualifying, but come on, I qualified second for the 8500. <laughs> it's so special. 
Redis, I know this is a weird question to ask, but before we let you go, our producer, Eddie Garrison, is great at handicapping this race. He's done pretty well for himself the last couple of races. Uh, for me and James, we're, we're, we're diving in as as as, uh, as, as novice from a, from a selection standpoint of who to pick to win this race as anybody else. So for you, obviously you want to win the, win the race, and in your heart of hearts, you believe you're going to win the race, but why should we hitch our wagon to the Renus VK camp this Sunday? Well, you know, I, I race for the local team ECR at Carpenter Racing, and um, no, I got a I got a good I got a good team boss that um, that gives me a lot of tips. He has finished second a few times, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm a young guy, very very eager to win, and I think uh, starting from P2, you know, I can really uh, give it a shot. Well, we wish you all the best out there. We we love Ed as well. Looking forward to talking to him a little bit later in the week. I know this is a very, very busy week for you guys. Thank you for making time for us, Renus, and good luck on Sunday. Yeah, thank you very much. That's Renus VK. Again, he'll be slotted second for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 for Ed Carpenter Racing. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Back here in the DriveHubler.com studio, I'm James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison. You're listening to 107.5 The Fan, midday show. We have the Dean, Mike Chappell on the line. Mike, we got OTAs this week. What excites you the most about possibly seeing who's running with the ones? Will it be Gardner Minshew? Will it be Anthony Richardson? Will it be both? Yeah, I think that it's funny. All the time that we've spent out there so far, we're only – being given the information that the team wants you to have. I mean, sort of, we've asked Shane Steichen a few times about who's doing this and who's doing that. He just, well, we're not going to talk positional stuff. Well, now we get a chance to see it on our own. And you're right. I, I, I'm curious how we're going to see how they're divvying up the, the reps uh, at quarterback. And yeah, there, there's very little reason to me for the team to hide anything. So I think what we see is what we're going to see. It's it's this is how they're running practice. Is it is it fifty fifty? Is Richardson getting more? So that's that's really important because again, this is if we're to take what they say that reps are important and you know it's reps reps. Well then, the the, the rookie's got to get his reps. So I want to see that. And number two, I want to see if Shaq's practicing at some level. I mean, I'm not saying you know full bore because. You know, these aren't full board practices, but is he doing something? And we're we're not we're going to have questions about Shaq until we see him practicing day after day after day and playing. So those are the the two main things that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Shaq. I know JT. The last time we talked to him as well, Jonathan Taylor, 
he was not fully cleared, so we'll see if he's out there and active. But for Shaquille, if he isn't, you know, doing much, does that change your outlook for the season at all, Chap? Or are you just going to kind of wait and see what it looks like come training camp and preseason? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the knockdown date to me is training camp. You know, if 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 he would be like on pup or he's not quite ready, and then maybe after a week or two, I think that's a concern. It just is when you consider that by the end he's going to be gosh nine months removed from surgery, eight or nine months from surgery when we get to late July, if my math's right. I think he got his surgery in November, but I, I keep trying to compare, and it's wrong. I keep comparing his rehab now to his rehab last season. And again, that's wrong because everyone's admitted that he, he he came back too quickly last year. I think everybody has admitted that because they just didn't know and Shaq wanted to play as you can expect. So they're being really, really cautious, I guess is the right word. But at some point, I mean, he's got to practice and practice without you know, any, any uh, I guess, pitch counts or whatever. And and we're not at that point now. Teams always, always err on the side of caution with rehabbing players. We may not see JT out there doing much. You'd like to see him doing something. Uh, I, I'm probably more concerned or curious on Shaq than I am JT only because we're, we're dealing with a second back surgery and we're, you know, we're well past – what his rehab was last year, you know, even if if they hurried him back to play, he was probably not too far ahead as far as practicing. He was probably about the right time, but I really want to see where he is. And if he's not out there, am I am I super concerned? No, but I would I would feel much better if he's doing something. So those are the main things. And oh, by the way, who's right guard? I assume it's Will Fries, <laughs> but but. You know, the corners, you want to know who the corners are? Well, Juju Brents isn't practicing, so you're not really going to know there. But quarterback reps and Shaq and JT, you're right, are probably my three top uh, curiosity pieces. Chap, I don't think that Shaq Leonard lied to anybody last season. I think he was truly honest when he said he felt like he was going to be able to come back or he felt like he was going to be ready to go. And obviously, some missteps along the way and really a lost season for the most part. Are we at a point with him over this really 18 to 19 month span or so of dealing with injury and trying to rehab back where you almost have to see him on the field week one at 100% before we're ready to think that this is behind him? Well, you had to see him active. <laughs> I mean, on, on the active <laughs> roster, certainly. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how. You know, I, I don't know that I'm expecting him to go out there against Jacksonville and have 16 tackles. Sure, I don't sure. know if I'm there yet. But but you need to see more than okay. In the opener, it's 10 plays, and then next week it's 16 plays, and then we're going to build up to a half. I don't want to see that. I, I think that would be concerning, only because. It didn't, you know, the first one didn't work for whatever reason. I assume it's because he heard her hurried back. But even that, he wasn't feeling the sensation and the strength in his leg. So the, maybe the surgery itself didn't work. But, again, it, it's it's a back injury with nerves. And it's it's pretty bad when you're almost 
wishing it's a patella or an ACL because backs are just, I mean, they're just funky things to deal with. So I don't know what the level would be when the season starts, but boy, I want, I want to see him practicing. I'd love to see it. Even if it's limited, if he's out there not, and not just with a baseball hat on and, you know, the the coach slash cheerleader, uh, just doing something. And, And he really didn't give us much of an update. When we talked to him earlier, I, I don't think he did. So, you know, you, you just want to see him play because that's what he is. We've seen too much of the standing around. And that's not a criticism. That, that's just what his body wouldn't allow him to do. So practice a little bit in OTAs. Practice, you know, in training camp and be ready to play at some level in September because until we get through those stages and he's playing consistently, you're always going to have concerns. I mean, why wouldn't you have concerns? We're listening to and talking to Mike Chappell, covers the Colts for Fox 59. Chap, another player I'm interested in seeing later this week is Michael Pittman Jr., the player who may have been affected the most these last two years with the quarterback position. He's obviously in a contract extension situation, do you expect him to be extended before the season, or is that something we'll have to monitor throughout? I don't think, personally, it's as no-brainer of a call as it is with Jonathan Taylor. No, I, I agree. And to me, that's because of the magnitude of the contract. I can, I can say JT is a little more of a no-brainer because it's not going to be $20 million a year you know, over four or five years. It's not going to be these this, – this, it's going to be a good contract. There's going to be, I don't know. 12 or $13 million a year, which is a darn good time. That's your kind of money, James. I need but, it, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and, and, we, and we, we, when we sit out there at the press room and just shoot the ball, it's always, you know, where does he, you know, where does he rank in the, in the league? Is he a top 15 guy? I don't know. Is he legitimate number one? And I don't know how you tell anything on his progress Based on last year, I just don't. I, mean, I agree with you. He, he was the most impacted player as far as being able to do what he could do. It's really hard in this league, really, really hard in this league to catch 99 passes and not get 1,000 yards. I mean, it's been done like four times and mostly by a running back because of, of how they are used in the offense. So they just couldn't do use him how they needed to, and to a lesser degree, Alec Pierce. But but Pittman more, and how do they value him with the team, which very highly, but then how do you equate that with market value and mm-hmm. what you're willing to invest? I think it's really intriguing. We've been talking about this on this show and, and with, with JMV for the last year. You know, I think JT is an easier one. It's obvious that the owner really likes JT. I mean, and we saw what they could do, what he could do healthy. But running backs, you know, the, the shelf life isn't as long. That's why maybe a three-year deal for him makes sense. Receivers are different, and we've seen how the receiver market has just skyrocketed. It's not going to slow down. Get a couple of these Cincinnati guys getting their contracts and see where the market is. So I'm really, I really don't know. It, it makes sense to, to, to re-sign your own. But when you're talking those levels of contracts, it really makes it difficult. I would like to I'd like to know 
from Chris Bowder and his personnel staff how they value Michael Pittman regarding budget and the rest of the league. It's, it's really an interesting question. When you look at Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, and I know that I am simulating an entire season here, chap, because this is something they'd be doing next off season. But if you were far apart with both of them on contracts, my lean would be you would give the tag to Jonathan Taylor if need be, if it came down to that. Are, are you in a similar boat in that? Or like you mentioned with how expensive receivers can get and how valuable they are, especially for a young quarterback, just as valuable as having a rusher like Taylor in the backfield to be to Anthony Richardson's development. It, do you think it goes the other way or would Jonathan Taylor be the best case for a tag if, again, a big if, a contract could not get sorted out between now and then? I mean, I, it may be one of those where you, you sign one and tag the other. Right. And and from the tag point, point of view, again, it, it's going to be more beneficial to tag a receiver because because it's going to be, I don't know what the tag will be next year, $20 million? And a tag for running back might be, I just haven't seen, looked at the number, right, 10 or right, 11, right. Or 12 or 13 million, whatever it will be. So, but uh, you, you've got, it makes no sense to, to, to rebuild whatever the word we want to use, rebuild, reboot, whatever it is, your team with a young quarterback and then not keep your skill people around him. Young skill people, JT and Pittman, you know, Pittman's not, is not that old. Right. So that's ideally what you do. Again, it just, it just comes down to how you value him, you know, at your position and, and, and you know, if, if it will cost $15 million, of course you do it. But that's that's not even in the conversation for 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 Pittman. So I would say if it comes down to it, you you sign JT because you can it's it's going to be more affordable, and then you you tag Pitt, which would probably piss you know Pittman off, I would think. But it, it's that that's the tough you know roster shuffling that you've got to do, and it, it's and and this is the good product product byproduct of hitting on your draft picks when you hit on them and you're right, which is great for four years. And then you got to pay them. You know, we can argue till Helfrich is over about re and Quentin Nelson at that size, but, but that's, that's what you do. And, and that's, you really hit on Pittman, Pittman and JT. Well, that's fine, but now you got to pay them. So I'm really, really curious. I, I think you try to do what you can. To, 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 to re-sign them and retain them because they're young players and you just don't get rid of good players. You just don't. It's not that easy to, to replace a Michael Pittman. I realize receivers have been coming out of the woodwork in the draft, but boy, when you got a guy that's got his skills, the size he is, he yes, he lacks, I don't know, deep speed, I guess, whatever. But he's been pretty good. And you did a great disservice last year with your quarterback play. But I would try to move heaven and earth to re-sign those two guys just because they're your guys, and it makes sense to re-sign your own. If you don't re-sign Pitt, then what? You, you get another um, second-round draft pick? Do you get, that, 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 what, what evidence have we seen that they're going to go assign a veteran receiver at a big price? Well, they're not going to do that. So if you're going to pay a big number for a receiver, I guess pay your own. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. 
and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Chap, moving back to the quarterback position, obviously we will not know this for a few months now, but if we go through OTAs, training camp, preseason, and Gardner Minshew is clearly the better quarterback, do the Colts have an obligation to start and play the better player? That's a really good question. To me, there's going to be no question that he's going to be the more ready guy to play. He's a veteran. He's played in his offense. I mean, it's going to be a crime if he's not clearly, clearly, I hate to use the word clear, that he's the better guy. Now, I guess whatever the, the gap between he and Richardson is will determine that. But I, I get your point. If I'm this, this veteran team, and I keep using the term rebuild, which is probably not true because they kept – there's a lot of veterans on this team, and they, they signed a few guys that this isn't a tank season at all. So if I'm a veteran guy, I want the quarterback who gives me the best chance to win this year, not preparing him for 2024. So, you know, and, and I would assume that Minshew is going to give you a better chance right out of the gate just because he's been there and, you know, he knows what to expect and there's not going to be too many surprises. And everything that Richardson sees over the first month of the season is going to kind of be brand new to him. You, you can only do so much in practice and even preseason games. That's a really good question. I, I Again, I think Minshew will be more ready to, to play to start. But if Richardson is close, I, I think you may start him. Because I, I mentioned this before, that if you don't think that Richardson is ready, it's going to be really hard once the season gets going to give him the necessary reps in practice during the week, preparing for Houston and the Rams and everybody on. It's really hard once the season gets going to give the backup or the young rookie the necessary reps to get better because you got to prepare your starter. So it, that, that's a great question, and I don't know. I They clearly want Richardson to, to play sooner rather than later, but – it's really going to tell on how far along he is. If he's close, if he's got the protections down and they've simplified the offense enough, I think he plays. But I don't know. If, maybe we will be able to tell that during practices at, at training camp. We won't tell that much in OTAs. But in training camp, we will. And maybe in the preseason games when he's out there, we will. If he's close, he plays. If he's not close, you can't. It's a disservice to the team to play him because of what of the impact of this year. And I'm not going to get into the impact of, well, you need to position yourself for next year's draft. That's a story for October, November we can get into. Chap, I'm not interested in having a conversation, much like you just said, like to you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm not interested in having a conversation about planning for next year's draft. That's not the mindset in that building. That's not the mindset, in theory, with most NFL franchises. Where my issue is, 
and I get it. You want to keep veterans happy, and they don't want to be a part of a rebuild. But like, maybe I'm being too simplistic on this, and this is why it wouldn't work in an NFL front office. They're not winning anything next year. Like, like maybe they could steal the South and like make a little bit of noise if they were to get there. But they're not a legitimate contender, regardless of Jim Irsay's tweets to win a Lombardi Trophy. So for me, that's that's a preamble to lead into this question, which is that to me, the only reason you start Minshew is if. Richardson truly isn't ready or there's something that you see in his game that would lead you to believe throwing him out there as a rookie would hurt his development. It can't be that, well, Minshew gives us a shot to win two more games that we were going to win before, right? Well, I I, I get that, but doggone, look at the schedule. It's bad. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's it's doable. Sure. It's doable. Sure. So, I... But what does it say to the rest of the, the locker room? Right. It's all about earn your way. So what, what's it tell the locker room if, if it's clear that Richardson's not ready, but he'll benefit from playing? So, so how do you how do you you know might you lose part of the locker room if you if you're playing a guy who is not ready and he's going to make mistakes, but he's going to get better and all this? I just think it's it's. They're not going to, you know, reduce season ticket prices for the first eight games, you know, four games at home because sure. well, the kids learning and it's not going to be the top product. So, I still think I look at this doggone as chaotic as last year was, and it was a it was a dumpster fire. They should have won eight games. They should have won eight games, changing nothing except like four plays. Yeah, and that's not a stretch at all. That's how close, even as chaotic as last year was, that's how close they were to winning the AFC South. And, yes, it's great to have a number four pick or a higher pick. It is. It is. That's how you get difference-making players. But, boy, I tell you, making the playoffs and being a factor, and it's just different. It, 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 it's a different level of buzz around the building. And so it, it, if – Minshew is clearly better and gives him a better chance, which, again, he will. Clearly, he'll be better, more prepared. But if Richardson's not ready, you don't play him because you know he'll get better by week eight. I go back to Peyton Manning's rookie year, and he didn't play very well. His quarterback rating was like 54 for the first month of the season. It was awful. But, boy, the Frisco game midseason, it clicked. And you can tell it was something special, but I just don't know how they do it this year. If 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 Richardson is simply not ready, and as clear he's not ready, I just don't think he plays. I I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to show good development, development, and being ready and understanding things. I think he'll be close to being ready. And if you're close to being ready, I think he plays. If he's not, and it's obvious. You can't put him out there. Would your answer change if the diagnosis was he's not ready because he needs reps? Like, not that he's not understanding the offense or not understanding how to pick up blitzes or not understanding how to audible into different checks. If it's just a matter of he's not ready because he needs reps, that would still be an avenue to think, okay, well, there's going to be growing pains, but we don't want to kick the can another year and then have the growing pains next year when you could have him this year to have him learn on the fly, if it is a repetition issue, that changes the conversation a bit, though, right? Well, but it's going to be a repetition issue because right. he's 
played he's played 13 games. But when you say not so, ready, what, what what do you mean? Like he's he's having he's behind. He's clearly a step behind with learning right. Shane Steichen's offense. He, he he can't he can't make okay. the, the blocking checks with the offensive line, and he doesn't quite have the offense down. And I don't think that's going to be the issue. Sure, this is a a smart kid. He knows what he's doing. I think he's a quick learner from what we've seen and from talking to him. So I don't. That's why I said I don't think it's going to be a case of this kid's lost. He has no idea what we're doing. You know, he's calling plays in the huddle that we don't know where the hell they come from. I don't think that's the case. That's why I say I really think he'll he'll be the starter. Because I think, because it makes no sense that if he's got the offense down, he's got the protection down, and he's and he's, I, I guess, intellectually ready to play. I think you play him. But again, if he's not, if he if he doesn't really know, if he's not comfortable and confident in what he's doing, you're doing a disservice to everybody. But uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough balance. Because I say I, I keep coming back to the, the thing that Minshew will be ready to play. He just will be, and by that, and on, I guess a byproduct of that is he'll be more a better option of you winning consistently early. But, but if if the kid is knows what he's doing, can 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 run the position and be productive and you know limit the turnovers, then you play him, and that will be. Maybe you're going to lose a couple of games you you would have won with Minshew. But that's the price you pay for making this transition. As long as long as Richardson can handle his position and it's not too big for him, and I think you find that out kind of quick. You can find that out in the preseason that he's out there against Buffalo or or whatever, and it's just, he's just slow he, and not not slow on his feet, but slow processing. I think you'd find that out. But I, I just don't think it's going to be the case. The decision they're going to have is start the quarterback who's more ready, which is Minshew, or start the quarterback who's your future, and he's pretty close to being ready. So I, I, it's a tough decision, but if, it, if it's close, you start the rookie. Chap, to pivot this conversation in a different direction, the last number four pick the Colts had was Edge. And he was uniquely himself. He was different. He talked different, looked different, right. all of the above. How do you think a guy like him can kind of show Anthony Richardson the blueprint of how to just be himself? Because quite frankly, he does not look like Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck, doesn't talk like them, probably doesn't have the same background as far as being you know, elite quarterbacks in college and things like that. So how do you think being himself and maybe – cultivating or creating an environment around him to allow him to grow um, in himself will help him develop on the field. Yeah, and that's a good point. And it was interesting that Edge was in the building when, when Richardson showed up. I, I don't know why he was here, whether it was something else or whatever. But I know Edge has a relationship with Richardson and, and his family. And I still say Edge is, is my, my most favorite Colt because he did it his way. And, and I remember when he came in after a year or two, and he's got the dreads, he's got the gold teeth, and he's got the South Florida way about him, the lingo and all that stuff. And I remember one time just casually talking, I said, Edge, you realize that if you changed your appearance to some level, the the type of, you know, in uh, uh, of the uh, – 
advertising and revenues you might get. And he, he said, I don't care. He said, then I'm not me. So what, whatever you thought about Edger, and he was himself all the way through. He wasn't going to change for anybody. And, and it's funny. It's one thing about a quarterback and another about a running back being ready to play. Edge didn't need training camp. He, he didn't have training camp. He just went out and played. <laughs> and he won. You know, he, he went out for his first preseason game against the Saints and had like six carries for 70 yards and two touchdowns. And he thought, man, this is easy. And he, he used to tell people, he said, man, this is so easy. We, we only play once a week and we're preparing all week. We know what they're going to do. But I think what he can tell Richardson is be yourself, be true to yourself. When you start changing, I think people around you, and you, especially your teammates, they, they recognize that. And your teammates want is just, you know, be authentic and, and be yourself because players detect BS real quick. And, you know, if you're not you, you who are you? And you're either a leader or you're not. And you really can't fake that. Ed's never tried that. I don't think we're going to see Richardson change at all, appearance or anything. It, this is, but you're right. This is a totally different face of the franchise in, in in so many ways from Peyton and Andrew and and now Richardson and the offense is going to be diametrically opposed to what Peyton ran and even what Luck ran more so more so Peyton because of, of the drop back part and all that stuff but you got to be yourself and because when you're not I've been around guys and not a lot of them but they're just trying to be something they're not and it comes off really poorly and teammates detect that real quick. He'll be himself, and he'll he'll excel because he stays who he is. That's Mike Chap, Fox Fifty Nine Colts reporter. Chap, always glad to have you on. You take it easy, and I will see you later this Thursday. week. Make sure you have your sunscreen out there, young man. I don't need. I don't Stay need. Stay hydrated, Chap. I've been around a long time. <laughs> and eat your vegetables as well. <laughs> yeah, not much chance of that. <laughs> Thanks, Chap. See you Thursday. That was, again, Mike Chap. He covers the Colts for Fox 59. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison. Having drivers on throughout the week. One of our favorite conversations. The legend himself. The four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Elio Castroneves. Nice enough to take some time with us. Elio, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Better now. Always good to get an opportunity to catch up with you. Uh, main area I want to start with today is there's always discussions of, of how rookies and first-time drivers approach the Oval and, and the challenges that are there. For you, your first start out of the gate is your first of four wins at the Indy 500. I know we're all going back in the, the time machine back to 2001, but, but, but take us through that first one and why in the years that have followed or why over the course of time, usually for first-time drivers at the Indy 500, what you did is so hard to do? Well, imagine we're talking about over – this is going to be the 107th edition uh, of this race, meaning it's over 100 years old, obviously, and it's incredible how competitive becoming over the years. And um, and obviously it's, uh, it's, it, it's getting – more and more competitive. So my first win off, it was interesting because I was here. I didn't know much about the history of this place. And uh, when I, uh, I just, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have uh, Instagram back then. I was a bunch of other things that we didn't have it. <laughs> so I had to find a ways to, how am I going to understand what I need to do? So talk a lot with uh, Rick Mears, Alan, the senior, uh, uh, John Rutherford. I mean, all of them. I spoke with AJ Foy, but I couldn't understand much what he was telling me. So <laughs> all of this, and we did it. I did it. And you know what? It paid off because every single comment those guys did, it, it helped me out. Uh, but today, because everything is so wide, wide open, everybody can see everything. You know, it's becoming more competitive because now they understand. But it's still, you have have the great team. You still have a great car. And you got to position yourself at the right time. Elio, for you, having done this year after year, putting your body, mind through it, what keeps the fire burning in your belly? And, you know, is part of that trying to stay, you know, at the top of your game in a sport that obviously lends itself, in any sport really, towards the younger, you know, participants? Well, the reason it goes like that, like I mentioned, uh, the experience now all of a sudden because of the simulators that we have these days, it's obviously not real, but it's very close to real. Um, um, uh, and and again, it's, it, it just brings that advantage that you have, you know, closer and closer. But what I like it, it's, it's the challenge. It's the, it's the, you know, the situation that you, I know I can do it. And not only that, it's funny. When you have your computer, you know, how many times you have to download a new update <laughs> and, and to make it better, right? So it's the same thing. you got to put yourself in this situation to update yourself, make yourself better, and keep pushing. So that's what motivates me, to keep it going. And and, and, and its quest for the number five would be always in my mind. Elio Castroneves of Meyer Shank Racing. Nice enough to take some time with us. The four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. You mentioned all the legends that you spoke with as a rookie trying to get a feel for the challenges at IMS. For you now, obviously the accolades are there, but being as experienced as you are, what is the, the number one question or one of the most asked questions that you get from first-time, second-time, third-time drivers trying to get a feel or a crash course on what the Speedway will challenge them with? Well, they ask me several things. Why do I have my line, the way I do my line? And they come by, why are you doing that? It's like, I don't know. I just feel comfortable <laughs> running where I'm running. I, I, it's not that I want to run out there. Don't don't get me wrong. And 
So things like that, um, uh, they ask me, uh, and 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 obviously when we have our meetings, they they listen to what I'm saying, and I I, I can see that they are uh, they want to extract every single information to benefit them. So I have to be careful what I say too, because otherwise I sue in the game. Sure. You know, I can't tell him I can't share much with those guys. You know what I mean? Elio, what has it been like to see Alex Pillow kind of take his leap, and what do you think it does for the sport to have sort of that fresh blood in there? I know you're still there. Don't have don't have any plans on leaving, but um, to be still in this game and to see you know sort of the next wave um, usher themselves in. Well, I'll be honest with Alex. Very happy for him. Um, you know, uh, not only for all the drama that happened last year. It was about this time, right? Um, that uh, he rumored he was going to McLaren and things like that, and he handled really well. And not only that, he he's able to prove uh, that he has a strong mind and ready to um, continue his quest to uh, to becoming one of the drivers here um, uh, that will for sure be remember what he did as uh, as saturday or or sunday uh in uh qualifying was incredible the team is great great uh props to the team to give him an excellent car um and and again he he keeps he is the one that that was fighting with him in 2021 and he does have this speed so last year we actually Got together in the race as well. I, he was right there with me, and uh, in the top ten. So yeah, it would be interesting. I told him as soon as he, as soon as he finished the pole position, I I congratulated him and said, "Don't worry, I'll see you, I'll see you in the end of the race." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I will. So it's great, great to uh, to have uh, new generation as well, international coming over, and, and he's such a nice guy too. Elio, there's no secret sauce to winning this race. And even if there was, you, you've already joked with us a little bit. You wouldn't give it to us uh, as we're so <laughs> close to the 107th running. But with all that goes into it, how much of it is that combination of right place, right time, being fully focused to take advantage of your opportunity whenever it arrives and just all the, the thought and the time and effort that your team and your engineers put in through the entirety of that race? Well, it's a lot. I mean, uh, you can only do so much. I mean, uh, look, just let's go with the qualifying. I, I didn't have a lap for, for the 233 or 234. It, it, not even 35. I mean, it, it, so it shows there is so much you can do with a car these days. You know, the secret, uh, obviously, we'd like to know, but with McLaren and Ganassi, those guys are being uh, super fast. And as they keep adding cars, they're they just increase their uh, potential to be in the right place on the right time. Now, saying that doesn't mean that it's going to happen, right? Because last year, remember, they uh, they were the fastest guys, or Dixon was the fastest guy, and look what happened. So things can happen even with those guys, the big team. So that's why you can never stop working and finding the directions that you put yourself in. And I tell every time that to my team, uh, uh, don't worry, you know, it will come. If you go away from us, you will come from us to us uh, eventually because it's not a sprint race. This is a sort of long race, six pit stops, and uh, anything can happen. 
Elio, there are going to be a lot of young kids, obviously, at the track to see you all perform. And my question is, how has your career in this sport maybe shaped how you view teamwork? You know, a lot of kids might play basketball, football, whatever, and it's more visible to see the teamwork in real time, the coaching in real time. But for you, um, it's a little bit different, obviously, and the praise is a little bit different. You know, when you win, I know you congratulate everyone who's worked with you, your engineers, your coaches, and things like that. But how has teamwork really defined what you've been able to do? Oh, in any place, uh, but especially in racing, you don't have good pit stops. You don't have good mechanics to 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 build the car and be reliable when you go out there. You won't be even if you don't have engineers. Especially these days that the car is being so it's so it's basically the same from a few years ago. Um, everybody already knows, as I mentioned, sort of the secret. So if you don't have those in sync, forget it. You won't be able to. Uh, uh, to potential show what you you can, like don't get me wrong, but we unfortunately didn't have the results that we won on the beginning of the season, and uh, we're really pushing hard, but it's obviously something there still not connected, and uh, but we keep striving, pushing, and finding that little detail, which you, it's sometimes it's just one click that we don't know where it is, but you will you will make it happen. So it is it is. Percentage-wise, I always say 50-50 because uh, they, without their car, we won't be able to do it. Without a good driver, also, you won't be able to do it. Elio, I'll be honest. You don't have to work very hard to sell me to pick you to win the 107th <laughs> running of the Indianapolis 500 as a four-time winner, yeah. as being the as being the you know constant throughout my life of, of of growing up here in Indianapolis. Your name is is synonymous with the Indy 500 and with IMS. But for James here, if you were trying to sell James <laughs> on why to pick you for, to win the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500, what would be your pitch to him for why you can get it done and complete the drive for five on Sunday? Well, remember when I mentioned you got to update your computer? Yes. I just got my 4.8 uh, computer update, so um, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little more older, I'm a little more experienced, and I'm ready to uh, teach these kids how to drive in this place. Um, the 4.8 sounds pretty good, so I'm going to have to, I'm sold, I'm sold. <laughs> well, we look forward to it, Elio. Thank you so much for taking the time with us, and we'll be right there with the Drive for Five on Sunday. All the best, fellas. Thank you. It's Elio Castroneves, the four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 out of Meyer Shank Racing. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio, having fun with my buddies Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison, and now Mark Schindler, who covers the WNBA for literally at 
WNBA, and then also the NBA for Dime, Up Rocks, and other outlets. Mark, how you doing, my man? James, I'm good, dude. It's been a minute. How are things on your end? They're going good. I know you're down in Atlanta now doing some things with the Dream. So congrats on that. You know, new position. You have so many hats. You and Karina, I can never keep up. So congrats yeah. on that end. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. So I guess I'll start here. We've talked a lot about the draft for the Pacers, what they can do, who they might select. But free agency is another avenue, obviously, where they can upgrade and get this team to a place where they could be in playoff contention next year. So who are some players, free agency-wise, or even just trade-wise, that you think the Pacers should target? And I know in that mix there has to be some forwards and wings in there because there aren't enough of them here in Indianapolis right now, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, man. I think that's what I'm going to be really excited to see what they do in the offseason because part of what's so interesting is that, I mean, kind of like you mentioned, they have – a lot of options uh, they have a ton of cap space to work with um they have a really interesting young team and i think especially when we're talking about the nba there's uh a lot more leeway to bring guys in just given uh how important just financials are for it so uh, one thing that i'll be curious on not that i'm sure he would entirely fit i think you know with the idea of this team likes shooting an upside i think is kind of their their mo right now like they want guys who who can really shoot the ball who can play in rick's system um, and we have some upside. And one guy who I wonder if if, that, if he maybe fits that bill uh, is Gary Trent Jr. Like I, I I'm not sure that he's a guy I would consider you know three and D. I think his defense has improved over the last year or so. But as somebody who could kind of fit the mold of just an extra um, shot maker alongside uh, what Tyrese brings in that system, you know, with Benedict coming up as well, that could be interesting. He's more of like kind of a straight up two guard than a than a three, but it's an interesting name to think about. Mark, when you look at the Eastern Conference that is right now and you look three through six, so teams that were outside of the play-in and squarely in the playoffs, the Pacers in an ideal world would like to be in that window by the time that we are looking back at the season that was next offseason or next time around uh, next year. When you look at Philadelphia, Cleveland, New York, Brooklyn, Atlanta, when you look in that mix, is there real room for the Pacers to make a leap given the struggles that a lot of those teams or changes that a lot of those teams are going to have to undergo this offseason? That's such a great question. That's something I've been thinking about. You know, I think for me, I feel like the top five is fairly cemented. Like, I, I don't think that Milwaukee is going to fall out. Boston, even with changes probably on the on the come up. I don't expect them to drop out of home court advantage. I think Cleveland maybe takes another step next year. Depends on what they do in the offseason for sure. Philadelphia is probably a little bit more up in the air, but regardless, I would expect them to be better. And I think the Knicks have set a good enough baseline for me where I feel that they're going to be at least six seed or higher. Obviously, injuries can always be finicky. Um, and, and Miami as well. I mean, with that, it feels wild to, to even talk about where Miami's at right now, but um, you know, when you're looking at Toronto, it feels like a lot could happen this year. I mean, this offseason with uh, the inflection point of do they trade OG and Anobi um, or one of the, their front court players to, to try and get some more flexibility in what they're doing. So it's, it's been rumored for a long time. Um, it seems like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. Uh, obviously, Chicago had a little bit of a disappointing season compared to what last year was. Um, and it seems like there's real room for that to be. Just kind of like I just generally don't have a read on what they're going to do. So 
kind of like you're mentioning. I mean, even with Atlanta brought in Quinn Snyder at the end of the year, they don't really want to go backwards. This was a backwards year for them. So it's kind of in an awkward place of I feel like this team is going to be in the same zone next year, you know, like being in that play-in mix. Uh, but I think within that, you know, the, the growth that you can see on court, I think that will be more of what you're tracking rather than you know, whether or not this team makes the playoffs. Mark, just so you know, once you mentioned OG and Anobi, all of Indiana was just like, oh, he's going to be a pacer. So, <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> but one player who's obviously already here and is a franchise cornerstone, that is Tyrese Halliburton. For you, and we talked about it you know, briefly through Twitter and things like that, what has it been like to see him find that balance of being a aggressive scorer but still – a true point guard because I feel like that's a hard thing for him to balance because he's so pass first but you know how cool was it to see him sort of find his footing and really establish himself as one of the best scorers in the league and you know again one of the best passers oh it's been special man um seeing his development has just been kind of uh saying mind-blowing sounds unfair like you know that, that makes it seem like I thought he wasn't going to be something like I, I honestly thought you know, especially first year in the league I was like this dude is going to be awesome like I'm so excited about him I thought he would make all-star teams but the, the last season is just different like we're going from talking about like okay maybe he's like the second or third best player on a really good team to to now you're looking at, all right this is a guy who's legitimately starting to um to mold into a guy who can really score um and I think part of what's so fun in that is there's still so much room for that to improve. Um, and I think you saw really big strides in that this past season. Um, and part of what's cool, too, that I think gets undersold sometimes in, in guys' developments, it's the self-awareness. Like, he is uh, – and this is more to say, like, it makes him stand out rather than to, to be unkind to those who are not – you know, who don't have the same level. Like, I think that just makes him that much more special. Like, having somebody who is so cognizant – of what they need to get better at, how to get better at it, and seeing them do it, like, you just don't see that all the time. That's when you're talking about the great players in the league, that's how they get there for the most part. So um, I don't really know how to even put a ceiling on him because of what his growth has been like over the past couple of years. Mark, when you look at what's happening in the Eastern Conference Finals right now, the discussion, at least down south in Miami, has been whether or not this is – the most enjoyable or the most exciting of any of Miami's runs to the finals. Again, I know it's not over yet, but like I, <laughs> I saw game three, like, like it, it Boston's probably the best over, equipped yeah. <laughs> to be the first team to come back from three Oh, if you're looking at roster construction, but yeah, I, I, I think the nails in the coffin, when you look at just how this improbable run is shaped up for Miami, what's the biggest differentiator between this and past Heat teams, obviously it's the star power, but just how Spolster has changed this roster while keeping it still in tune with their culture down there. And then secondly on that, where did everything go so far south with Boston in the series? Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to pick apart there. Um, I think the biggest thing for me with the Heat is all year it kind of just felt like they never quite gelled correctly. Like obviously their defense was elite throughout the season, but you know, they really struggled with their their shooting in general throughout the year and for a team where, you know, like they don't really I mean, obviously Jimmy is is, is incredible. Mm-hmm. He's been fantastic all year. Um, but they don't really have somebody who just uh creates 
I, like there's there's not like a LeBron type or somebody who is like this giant you know uh, primary initiator for them that that really kickstarts things. And I think some people will hear that and get well, Jimmy. Yes, I think Jimmy is that guy in the playoffs right now with with how he steps up and he does that at points during the regular season. But I think when you look at how few of the guards that like their team's full of combo guards, so it's a lot of guys who really need to create out of ball screens to get their best looks. And when the shooting isn't there, you know it's really hard to get a lot out of it. So I think that was a problem all year. And now it's not just to say that this is because of shooting. I think when you get some of the, the confidence in play for guys, um, the shooting blending together, their defense hitting an extra level, um, and just getting more out of guys. Like Max Struess really struggled throughout the regular season after having a really good year last year. Um, Duncan Robinson was a non-factor. And then this past game, he looked like, like you know, like looking at, Paul George for a second. Um, obviously not Paul George, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I'd never right. seen Duncan Robinson take somebody off the dribble like that before, and he did it for an entire quarter. Um, so it's like you get all that. You get what Kevin Love has brought, um, you know, after he came over. Um, I, I think some of this team has been undersold as, you know, like, oh, it's just a bunch of undrafted guys and it's the, the culture and the fit. And, like, no, this is – Jimmy Butler has been the best player in the playoffs, without question for me. And like, that has been – that that can't be understated. He has been legitimately the best player in the playoffs. He's playing incredible defense. Offensively, there just has not been really a great way to guard him because he can get his baskets in so many ways. Like they, they'll run him off screens. They'll use him as a screener. Like he is maybe the most versatile scorer in uh, in the. I mean, a lot of, I mean, there's four teams left, three teams left in the playoffs. So, so that's not actually saying a lot. But like throughout the playoffs, like the way that he's got his buckets, it's not just. Jimmy Butler shooting from the mid range or driving like it's they're they're doing everything with him. Um, and I think so much of that is it, I mean that has been so decisive for them in, in opening things up. Just you can't account. I mean what he did to Milwaukee in that one game uh, was like watching that. I remember my dad doesn't really watch the NBA nearly as much. I mean I'm watching you know four or five games a night. He'll watch one with me a week. I remember sitting down. And he came in uh, during that game where Jimmy went for, like, what, 50? And he's like, you might be the best playoff player I've ever seen. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> he's kind of got a point. Like, he's not Michael Jordan, but uh, he is just a special performer in the playoffs, and that's been huge. Looking out, Wes, because I would argue, Mark, that, you know, if you tell Michael Malone that Jimmy Butler's been the best player in the playoffs, he might have some choice words for you. <laughs> <Of course he would. laughs> but I know a lot of the – news coverage got caught up with LeBron and will he retire all of that but just focusing on the teams that are left the team that advanced to the finals last night how cool is it to see Jamal Murray healthy and what it means to this team because for a few years there was this in my opinion very stupid narrative about Jokic not being able to win in the playoffs and then he gets a healthy co-star and they're going to the finals for the first time in franchise history it's it's awesome, man. I was thinking about this because uh, I, you know, I'm, my my birthday's coming up soon, so I'm like mid twenties. I'll turn twenty six, um, and you know, I think time has hit me more than anything in the playoffs. Like you know, with with Melo retiring yesterday, I was just thinking about like you know when I was six watching him play and, and get drafted in two thousand three, and you know, I think when when you when you take that and look at this past year, I put this out as a it's kind of a joke yesterday. Like Paul Millsap's one of my 10 favorite players of all time. Don't ask. So it's a weird story, but um, <laughs> like I tweeted this out, like, okay, you know, like the, the domino meme with the smallest domino of 
Paul Millsap signs three for 90 in 2017 to Nuggets 2023 finals appearance. And I think, well, that is a joke. That's also like, it's, it's notable. Um, that was the biggest free agent that I had ever signed in Denver in my lifetime. Um, Cause obviously I had, you know, coming off of growing up with that, the, you know, it, the, the team breaks apart um, when Melo re- requests for the trade. Um, they have the really nice season when Iggy comes over and then he leaves and then they just kind of were fine, but the, kind of like just a, an awkward mismatch of talent for the next couple of years until everything started to come together in 2016 and 2017 when Jokic really starts to click. Obviously, they have the Jokic and Nurkic thing. Jamal Murray, like I think it's easy to forget, like Jamal really took two or three seasons to, to establish himself. Like he really, he, he was fine his first year or two, but then... I mean, like, I, it, it's easy to forget, especially since we're talking about Indiana, Fisher's own. Um, Gary Harris looked like he was going to be the, the star guard in Denver. Like, that was the guy circulated around the the potential Paul George trade to, to, to Denver that year um, was Gary Harris. And, like, you see so much of, like, going from there to, to where they're at now, all the trials and tribulations that have happened, all the injuries that have happened. Like, obviously, after the Aaron Gordon trade happens, that team looked like a finals contender for the next eight games until Jamal Murray goes out for the season. And then the next year, they start to look really good. Michael Porter Jr. is playing incredibly well. And then he's injured. Um, they just It's been kind of a testimony to um, how difficult it is to win in the moment, lose in the games that – in the series that matters most. Obviously, there's a lot more context and nuance to that. But like to actually keep a team together and find all of the right ingredients – uh, and and miss you know mix that all together at the right time. I mean it's it's been literally a half decade in the making. So I think thinking of it from that angle has been really special. And I thought about that a lot last night, and it's uh it, it's it just makes me very excited to see them play in the finals because it's been uh it's been uh, like you mentioned a little bit off top, James, with some of the uh, the narratives around what this team has or hasn't done. I think to see them finally get here, it's it's been really really special to watch. Again, talking to Mark Schindler, covers the WNBA for at WNBA, the NBA for Dime Rocks, Three Row Sports, and other outlets. Mark, to pivot to the W, you know, you got the fever coming to your town, um, you know, this, this weekend for a matchup. You got the current number one pick, Aaliyah Boston, the reigning number one pick or previous number one pick, Ryan Howard, who was the reigning rookie of the year. What about that matchup um, can we expect with two players? Ryan, I believe, has already shown what she can do for a franchise and then obviously what Aaliyah um, could mean to the Fever if she is as great as many people think she will be. I think what's really fun in looking at this, uh, like, granted, I don't, I don't think the game's going to be anything crazy. I'm excited about the Fever's direction. I know that they're 0-2 to start the year, but – I really like Christy Sides. I think Kelsey Mitchell, I, I'm not even going to say underrated. Like, I think it's just people not paying attention. Like, Kelsey Mitchell is one of the best players in the WNBA. I've really liked what she and Aaliyah can look like together. Um, I look at this overall, and I think to me this is uh, not to get too hyperbolic, but looking at Ryan and, and Aaliyah, those are two of the best players that have come into the to the, to the W within the last half decade. And um, I think – it's not unfeasible for Aaliyah to end up an all-star herself this year like Ryan was last year. That doesn't happen often to have rookies who have that level of impact and, and, and ability. So I think to me, even if this game doesn't even end up mattering all that much in the long run, 
it's worth it as like, hey, this is the first time. Obviously, you know, they played each other in Kentucky and South Carolina, and they, they have a, a pretty solid relationship. But, like, looking at it from the aspect of, hey, this is the first matchup we get to see of them in the pros, and this might be one of the ones that we are talking about these two players interlinked for the next 15 years. Like, I, I think that's how I would approach this game, honestly. Mark, this is a bit of a go out on a limb question because I don't know your taste, so you very well could have just been posting videos just to react to all the chaos that is on Twitter on a daily basis. But uh, are you a big I think you should leave fan? Massive. I okay. Love I think you should leave. Okay, good. So I, for those that don't know, I think you should leave is a, a very good sketch comedy show on Netflix. Uh, it's created by Tim Robinson. New episodes coming out next week, uh, a week from now, actually. Not a sponsor of the show, but just I'm equally looking forward to that. Uh, you posted one yesterday because we've entered in this territory now. Not that we weren't always there to begin with, but the idea of LeBron potentially retiring and a lot of out there takes in regard to uh, did he succeed, did he not succeed, uh, your overall takeaways from all that chatter early, and then we were talking about this last week. If it's this bad right now, when you could make the argument that LeBron exceeded pretty much anything that was ever put on his plate, what is going to happen with Victor Wembanyama over the course of his career here in the NBA with how hyped up he is right now? Man, uh, it's, it's funny. I've been thinking about this a lot. Kind of like I mentioned earlier with just thinking about time in general and, and how things work. Um, like there was a, a tweet that, that prompted that from me. It's, uh, it's just Tim Robinson screaming as he puts his hands on the steering wheel um, because like that's how I felt in the moment. Uh, like somebody saying it, it's light for LeBron to have only won four, four rings in his career. First off, like I don't like rings culture. I think it just yeah. undersells so much. Part of the reason why like, I'm not a fan anymore. I, I just cover basketball, but I grew up a Pacers fan because I always loved watching teams that, um, you know, were just it, not saying some of their parts sounds like at, at almost too much of like, Oh, well, I don't like stars. It's more like, no, I, I, I like, watching a team that does what they can to the max. Like, it's not about winning a title for me. It's so much of, did this team hit the most that they could in that given year with what they were? Like, watching that Hawks team in 2014-15 in with what they did winning 60 games, um, even with them bowing out in the Eastern Conference Finals, like, I think it's part of why I love those teams is that it reminds me of how – incredible greatness is like looking at somebody like LeBron like okay let me those two teams I just mentioned all right the 2012 to 13 2013 to 14 Pacers the Hawks pretty much every year um like I mean we had the we had the Joe Johnson Jay Smooth team that was really good during Mike Woodson's year they lost in the playoffs before they could even play LeBron um the Orlando Magic who were one of the few teams that ever beat LeBron in the playoffs like all of these teams that I can look at just in the Eastern Conference from my childhood growing up, I think about all those great players who played in that, and it's like, okay, well, none of them could beat LeBron. And that's like, to me, that's so much of what it comes back to. Like, uh, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, just outside Cleveland, and I didn't really appreciate and understand LeBron when I was a kid because, I mean, he was drafted when I was in kindergarten. So all I'd ever known growing up was this dude's really awesome. Our games are always sold out. I've gone to a lot of them. I got a bobblehead. Cool. Um, but then when I really start to understand and get into basketball, you're like, oh, that's LeBron James. I think to me it's just when you talk about, like this is the first year for me where he is really kind of saying falling off sounds unkind, but like going from being a guy who is a top five player in the league to top 12 to 15, that's where he's been after yeah. me this year. I think he was rightfully all NBA, but like 
that's just being blunt, being honest, like injuries have played a part for sure. But um, as awesome as he was in game four yesterday, like he just physically is not capable of doing some things anymore. And he's not to the level where he can adapt to overcome some of those things with where he's at athletically. He's still an incredibly good player, but that's more to pivot and say, it took 20 years to get to this point of saying that this dude is not a top five player in the league anymore. And that is like, and I mean, you can very well bounce back and things look different next year with, with it, with an off season arrest, obviously he's more in retirement, but that all goes to say like, this dude is insanely good. Like one of, not even one of, I, to me, he is the best we've ever done. Obviously I didn't grow up in, 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 in MJ's era. So it's different, but um I think when you just look at his career, I don't care about the rings. I don't care about any of that. It's so much more about every moment in my life I can connect back to something LeBron James had just done. Like, that's the kind of player and being that he is because of everything that, that he's done on the basketball court and off of it as well. And, like, I, who cares if he lost to the Mavericks? Like, that, it, that, I think what he's done has transcended anything that he can do by winning more championships as far as I'm concerned. So when you pivot that and look at Victor Wembanyama, I think it's too much to – not saying you were. I think it is too much to put the idea of, like, best prospect on LeBron since LeBron on somebody. I mean, we did that with Zion. Best prospect of with, all sports. Don't, don't, don't get yeah. that twisted. Be careful, Mark. <laughs> exactly. And it's like that's, that's going so far. I just want to watch this unfold before we, yeah. we make this guy. And it's less about like saying that he's not – I think that he does have the talent to be that kind of player. He's incredibly special. I mean, his feel for the game at his height with his mobility and his touch, we've never seen a player like that before, just putting it bluntly. Um, but also – I just want to wait and watch that unfold for him before we like make some 18 year old something more than he can handle. Uh, Cause I've seen, I mean, we've just seen it happen so many times before of, and that's not to say anything against anybody, but it's like, okay, I still think I, I mean, I take Zion first overall every day. You just can't predict how injuries are going to happen sometimes. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's part of the game, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, I don't know. It, all of this is to say like everything from the last half decade of my life has just forced me more into appreciate what you're witnessing. Don't put too much pressure on what's coming and just enjoy it because it's, I mean, we went from feeling like LeBron was never going to retire. Like that. I, at least in my life, again, like I could never picture right. LeBron not playing basketball to now. Hey, what, what does this look like next year? If LeBron's not playing, how am I going to feel about that? I was already a mess yesterday with Carmelo Anthony retiring, knowing that was coming, and now you know we're here. So it's uh, it's just uh, it's an incredibly weird confluence of, of events. Mark, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate you diving into the W, the NBA, LeBron, Melo, Wemby with us. I'll talk to you soon, man, and um, you know take care of my fever down there, or our fever down there in Atlanta. And enjoy. I think you should leave, Mark. <laughs> I will for sure. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. All right, that was Mark Schindler, covers the WNBA for WNBA and the NBA for Dime Rocks, a couple other outlets as well. Um, Dime Up Rocks, that is, I'm sorry.